The following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Morning, everyone. Every Sunday that I don't have to preach is a glorious Sunday. And so uh, I'm very thankful to be here in this worship this morning. Uh, it's a real pleasure for me to introduce our speaker today, uh, Sung Han Lee. He and I go way back to high school days. We were actually in the same youth group together in the uh, Chicagoland area. Um, Sung Han is a member at Agape Baptist Church. Uh, in the past, he has actually uh, served for a number of years as a pastor, but in this sort of second career season he's in, he works in IT engineering. Uh, he is married and has uh, three children as well, and uh, is very involved in a, in a mission venture as well these days. Uh, he's a dear friend of mine. It, uh, I don't know why, but every time I see him in these later seasons, it, it, I'm always reminded in our campus ministry that we serve together at U of I, uh, he and I would always have to hold the fort down in the summers. And so we would basically tag team preaching this, uh, during those summer months. And so maybe having him come to the pulpit this uh, Sunday is a reminder of that time. But uh, uh, he's a gifted speaker. And so let's welcome him warmly as he comes to deliver God's word to us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's good to be here with you. I think I was here last year uh, once. And um, uh, I hope and trust everybody's summer is going well. We got a little bit of relief from the heat, right? <laughs> Thank God for the rain. Uh, God has protected us and uh, lowered our electricity bills. Okay, um, I'd like to share from, uh, I think it's over here, right? <laughs> uh, from the Word of God, uh, just one verse actually. It's the same verse in uh, the, the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Slightly different, um, slightly different details in it, but generally the same. We'll, we'll read the passages. Uh, and then we'll pray and we'll begin. So Matthew twenty-seven thirty-two it says, As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Uh, they compelled this man to carry his cross. Mark chapter fifteen twenty-one says, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Luke twenty-three twenty-six says, And they led him away. They seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind us, uh, behind Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word, which instructs us, which guides us, uh, which gives us all that is necessary for our relationship with you and our relationship with others. And we believe that even in the smallest places uh, in Scripture that are many times easily overlooked, we still find uh, truth and we still find uh, evidences of your grace. We pray, Lord, that now, Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word. Uh, give us uh, conviction and challenge that we might live according to it for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Simon of Cyrene is someone that we know nothing about uh, in Scripture apart from these three verses, the, the verse in Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke. 
And there isn't a whole lot of detail in, in these verses, right? So it's not going to be a long sermon. <laughs> uh, so what we do know is uh, fairly simple. It, it's, there's this man named Simon, and Simon is not the same Simon as Simon Peter or, or other Simons in the Bible. This is the only mention of this particular Simon. He's from this place called Cyrene. Uh, he, is, uh, he doesn't live in Jerusalem, which is where, uh, where Jesus is being crucified. So he was, it says, a passerby. So his, his hometown is this place called Cyrene. It's not Jerusalem. So most likely he was there during the Passover uh, celebration where many people, the diaspora Jews that were scattered from all over, came together uh, for that time. So as he was passing by and Witnessing uh, all, all the events of that time, he saw this man named Jesus uh, going to his execution. And as he uh, witnesses that, unfortunately, he gets called out of the crowd to carry the cross of Jesus behind him uh, to, um, to uh, the execution of Jesus. So, not a whole lot of detail in there. Uh, he appears nowhere else in Scripture. So you might even wonder, and I wondered for a bit, uh, why is his name even mentioned? After all, it's just one verse. Uh, because there are many other places in Scripture where uh, passages that are quite a bit longer, detailing interactions with people that we never learn the name of, right? We we uh, remember the Samaritan woman, John 4. I mean, that's a long passage. But we never learn what her name is. And there's uh, places in uh, Luke where the leper, if you remember the, the ten lepers that were healed and the one that came back to thank Jesus, we never learn what his name is. Uh, the centurion who asked his servant to be healed and, and Jesus says of him, I have not found such a great faith in all of Israel. We don't know what his name is. Uh, there was the Canaanite woman whose daughter was sick, and Jesus is testing her. And uh, he says to her, uh, it's not right to feed uh, you know, the bread of children to the dogs. And, uh, we, and she responds with, uh, with a statement of faith that, that actually surprises Jesus. And her, her daughter is healed, but we never learn what her name is. Uh, we uh, see there's a demon-possessed man in Luke chapter 5. He gets healed, and he wants to follow Jesus. But Jesus says, go to your hometown and tell how much the Lord has done for you. We never learn his name. Uh, the bleeding woman, uh, the next passage in Mark chapter 5, uh, this whole uh, episode of healing and of testimony, and yet we never learn her name. All these uh, significant passages in the Bible of these people and these encounters with Jesus, and we never learn their name. But this one Simon of Cyrene who has one verse devoted to him in the Bible, we learn his name. His name is Simon. Uh, he even has two sons, Alexander and Rufus. He may have other children, but we, we at least learn of Alexander and Rufus. So why was his name mentioned at all? And how many sermons do you actually hear on Simon of Cyrene? <laughs> Up till like a month ago, I don't think I've ever heard uh, any mention of, of his name in like 
of any significant time except for a very passing reference to him. So I thought, you know, I think it'd be good to kind of meditate on this, this character, Simon of Cyrene. And one of the things I think we uh, learn about uh, this, this person, uh, one thing we learn from him, the fact that we learn his name is, uh, first of all, I want to say that the Bible is true. That the Bible is true. This Simon of Cyrene was an eyewitness to the crucifixion of Jesus, right? In fact, he was a a participant in it. He was forced to carry the cross of Jesus behind him. So uh, the Bible, um, you know, it's come under attack from many different sources and many different uh, uh, people all throughout the ages. And yet uh, it has stood the test of time. And there are many different uh, tests that are applied to the Bible to find out whether uh, is it accurate, is it reliable, is it truthful. And uh, I remember studying in seminary, so won't go into a whole lecture on it, but uh, just three brief uh, statements regarding the authenticity and the reliability of the Bible. There is what's called the bibliographic test. That means what we have now is what they had then. Uh, and there was, there was this... Uh, you might have heard of something called the Dead Sea Scrolls. That was a great finding back uh, many years ago. But when they discovered these scrolls, they were scrolls of the Bible. And uh, when they dated these scrolls, it was a thousand years earlier than the, the, late, the earliest manuscripts they had at the time. So the earliest manuscripts they were going off of for, for the Bible was like 900 A.D., and these, uh, these Dead Sea Scrolls, they estimated it was 100 B.C. So it was 1,000 a, a years later. And they found, oh, the, the, the things that we have now that we call Scripture match exactly to what they had 1,000 years prior to it. So there was not this whole uh, process of, of confusion. And, uh, you know, when you play that game telephone uh, and... and the, what you're trying to repeat what the first person says, and, and through the line, uh, when it gets to the end, it's like garbage, and it has nothing to do with what the original person said. It's a completely different topic. Uh, well, what they found a thousand years earlier is everything matches. There were very, very few differences, and the, one, the ones where there were were like misspellings. Uh, there were things that were easily uh, explained as, oh, there, there was an obvious copy error. But everything that we had... Uh, uh, they had back then is what we have now. So it, it, was, it was the same. Not only that, but there's an internal consistency test where the Bible is written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors, and the message is constant. The message, there's no uh, genuine and true contradiction. There are things that sometimes might, make, might not make sense. There are things that people have questions about. There are things that... Uh, People have raised as apparent contradictions, but when you look at it more carefully, it's very clear that there's no contradiction at all. There are some mysteries. There are things we don't understand. We don't understand fully and completely. What does it mean that God is three persons and one God and the concept of the Trinity? We don't uh, fully and completely understand in our finite minds the dual nature of Christ being fully God and fully man in one person. Uh, But nevertheless, there are no internal contradictions within that message by these 40 different authors over the 1,500 years. And as well, the external tests of uh, reliability, uh, when they search through uh, archaeology and all these different things, 
There is no uh, genuine contradiction in the Bible. It is something that is reliable. And by the Bible writers mentioning this man, Simon, what they're saying is when, these, when the Bible was written, most of these accounts were, were penned down maybe 25 or 30 years uh, within the death of Jesus. And what that means is, well, some people might say, well, 25 or 30 years, that's a long time. I don't even remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. So, I mean, isn't that a long time ago? But let me ask you, sure, there are many small details you might forget and f- might forget very quickly, but aren't there also other details in your lives, some very dramatic, life-changing points where you remember very clearly what happened, and all of the details surrounding that event. And so it was with this Simon of Cyrene. I would imagine this was one of the most startling uh, events in his life up to that point. That was probably one of the most dramatic events to be called out of a crowd to have to carry uh, this man's cross. And so in these accounts, when they were written, The Bible writers, in saying his name, what are they saying? Hey, there's this man, Simon. He carried the cross of Jesus. He's still living. You can go ask him if you have any doubts about these accounts. So the fact that these accounts were written within 25 to 30 years, and we know this man's name, we know where to find him, you can verify it. You can go and and ask for yourself an eyewitness who can testify and recount very clearly that story to you. He's still living. Because if these accounts were wrong, the people living uh, that were witnesses of that could easily refute it. No, that's wrong. That's totally false. That's a lie. But because these accounts were written within his lifetime, and we know who he is, and we know where he lives, We can go ask him ourselves. If you have any doubts, ask him yourself. See if what we are saying is true. God's word is something that we can trust. God's word has fulfilled prophecy. God's word has the witness of the Holy Spirit. And it has all these external uh, criteria uh, satisfied as well. So that is something that we can put our faith in, put our trust in. The second thing we learn from uh, Simon of Cyrene is um, one principle I believe we can draw out is unfair events can result in unexpected grace. Unfair events can result in unexpected grace. It's very possible that Simon of Cyrene, through the process of carrying the cross of Jesus, became a believer, right? he may not have heard about or known Jesus uh, very well up to that time because he was from far away. He was uh, from Cyrene, not in Jerusalem where Jesus was doing his ministry. And so in in being forced to carry the cross and go to this person's execution, uh, not only did he see firsthand the sacrifice of the Son of God, uh, as he was carrying it, you, you could wonder, like most of us do, uh, why me? After all, there were a lot of people there at that time watching the execution of Jesus. And as he was, uh, you know, 
on the way to where, where, the, where he would be crucified, I mean, there, were, there were large crowds that were gathered. And out of all of those people, hundreds, maybe thousands, you, Simon, uh, think about if you were in that situation. Uh, me? What do I have to do with this? And he was brought out of the crowd and forced to carry the cross of Jesus. And at that time, as he was carrying it, he might have been asking, what did I do to deserve this? Right? And sometimes that happens in our lives. Why was I the only one that was caught for speeding? I mean, there were other cars that were going faster than me, but they didn't get caught. And there are circumstances in our lives that might seem unfair. There are circumstances in our lives that are just, we don't understand. Why do these bad things, these hard things, these painful things happen in our lives? And Simon probably thought in a similar fashion. I mean, it makes sense, right? Uh, That's how I would think. And yet, through that process, as he witnessed the execution of Jesus, what happened after that, most likely... And again, why his name is mentioned is probably because he became a believer. Uh, Not only him, but his household, Alexander, Rufus, and whoever else was was a part of his household. Because uh, as he participated in that, later on, the church that, that would arise out of that probably came to him, probably asked him to give testimony and details. And and. As he, as he recounted his experience in it, he probably started hearing the experiences of others and their encounters with Jesus, how he healed, how he taught, how he loved, and how he sacrificed and died. And as a result, that testimony probably brought him into the household of faith, brought Alexander and Rufus into the household of faith. And he became a living witness and testimony to what God had done in his life. You know, we don't always understand all the events and circumstances that God uses to orchestrate the events in our lives to accomplish our salvation. You know, I was listening to a message uh, about Esther, you know, Queen Esther back in the Old Testament. And um, I, I won't recount the whole story to you, but uh, as I was listening to the message, uh, let, let, me, let me quote uh, just a, a brief summary, uh, according to J.D. Greer. This is what he says about all these uh, coincidences that happen in the book of Esther. If you didn't already know, the, in the book of Esther, there is no mention of God anywhere in, in, uh, in those chapters. Uh, and yet... Uh, there seems to be all these coincidences that seem to happen. So this is how he, this is how he uh, summarizes it, uh, J.D. Greer. Queen Vashti just so happens to upset her husband, King Asuherius, and he just so happens to come up with a contest to replace her that Esther has been designed to win. And Esther just so happens to be Mordecai's cousin, who just so happens to hear about a plot to kill the king, and it just so happens that for some reason he isn't honored at that point, but his act of heroism gets buried in a book. And it just so happens that the night before Mordecai is to be hanged, the king can't sleep. And it 
just so happens that the guy who gets the bedtime story for the king, out of all the books he could have pulled off the shelf, he pulls out the one that tells the story of Mordecai saving the king's life. And it just so happens when the king decides that they need to honor Mordecai, the first thing in the morning, the first one to walk in the room is Haman, the sworn enemy of Mordecai. And it just so happens that at the banquet where Esther unveils Haman's evil plan, the king just so happens to come in at the moment that he thinks Haman is trying to rape his wife. And it just so happens that when the king orders Haman to be hanged, the only gallows available are the ones that Haman built for Mordecai. All these things just seem to happen, right? These, all these coincidences. Uh, there's another, another preacher, David Platt, who, who, who uh, his quote says, folks, you can't write a script better than this. Uh, J.D. Greer goes on to say, do you realize what the book of Esther is teaching about history? God has the whole system rigged. His sovereignty, weaving the story of his people for his redemptive plan. All of these sovereign events are being woven together, the good experiences and also the bad. We might not completely understand why these happen, but we can trust in a God that is loving, a God that is good. And maybe some of these hardships we would rather not have, but they're necessary because they shape our character, uh, they set in, in motion a flow of many other circumstances that will eventually bring us to the place, to the time, to the circumstance in which we can receive the gospel to, uh, to the right disposition in which we can receive the gospel and come to salvation. God is a great and glorious and wonderful God. And there are no accidents in life. God controls all things and allows all things. Sometimes we have no idea of the complexity of events, influences, and consequences that determine his plan. Sometimes it's painful. It was for Jesus. But ultimately, uh, painful for him to carry out the plan of God, but it resulted in the life-changing good of Simon of Cyrene and for you and me. So, unexpected circumstances. Before we are too quick to ask the question, why, and this shouldn't have happened, perhaps we can ask the deeper question of, Lord, how are, going to, how are you going to use this for my good? How are, going, how are you going to use this to accomplish not only the salvation of me, but of my household? How are you going to use this for the good of others so that I might be a testimony so that I might be able to bear witness to your grace, your glory, and your redemption. Unexpected events can result in surprising grace in our lives. God is a good God. God is a glorious God. God is a powerful God. And yes, he can stop certain things from happening in our lives, but if he were, then there would be a whole different set of consequences that would follow that might not lead to the ultimate good in our lives. Is it good to enjoy? Is it good to feel good? Is it good to be comfortable? And 
we would all naturally say yes. But sometimes it is required that through pain, through difficulty, through struggle, that God brings us to a place where he can use us for his glory. The final point I want to make is not only unexpected uh, circumstances uh, lead to unexpected grace, but history belongs to God's children. History belongs to God's children. And this kind of goes along with uh, the prior point I was making. Even though Simon might have complained while he was doing it, uh, and it was, not, it was not something you would willingly choose. I, it, it wasn't like any volunteers to carry, carry this heavy wooden thing for, for Jesus. He was compelled. He was pulled out of crowd, and he, wouldn't, he, uh, chose, he did not willingly choose it. It was done reluctantly. But when he had realized what he had done, and he had, and he had come to faith in Christ, think about what and how he might have responded. I mean, at the time, he might have not liked it, but if in coming to faith in Christ, what do you think, how do you think he might have felt? Just imagine for, for a moment. I mean, it was, I would think, a tremendous sense of privilege. I had a chance to serve Jesus um, in his most painful hour. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing to think about, right? Uh, I mean, it was like you didn't, this wasn't something that, that you would have chosen, but now that you're in it and looking back on it, it was like, Amazing! What what a what a tremendous sense of privilege! What a tremendous sense of joy! What a tremendous opportunity I had to serve my Lord Jesus. And people would come and would ask him to confirm these events, and people would ask him for his story, his perspective, and he would bear testimony to uh, what God had done in his own life. You know. Simon was forced to carry the cross. But we are invited to carry a cross, right? Let's look at the, the, the verse in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 25. Uh, can we advance the slide? It says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world or, lose, uh, or loses or forfeits himself? In being uh, forced, he was reluctantly incorporated into the history of God, right? All of the Bible we see from many thousands of years uh, there's a central theme through it, right? It's the theme of salvation history, what God is doing to bring people uh, to himself. And when does history end? Well, uh, we don't know when Jesus is returning, but it does say when all nations, tribes, and languages have heard, uh, that will be one sign of his return. There, might, there are other signs, but that is a key sign. And so... All of God's children, therefore, are involved in making history. To put it simply, we are history makers. 
there is um, something so significant about every act of service that we engage in. Uh, everything that we do to show the love of Christ, to share the gospel, uh, to carry forward the mission of God in this world draws us into his history. There are many things that were left out of the Bible, right? John, in, 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 saying, uh, in recounting the end of the book of uh, John, says, if we were to write everything that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough, uh, enough books in the world. There are only a, a few key events, a uh, few key uh, thing, circumstances that are, that are included in the history of God that are considered significant in advancing his plan. Isn't it amazing to think about that we, his children, are part of that plan? We are making his history. And it doesn't matter. The history books that are, that are being taught in school, right? The one that really matters. The one that really counts. The book of life. This is the one that God is using us to write. May we all think about our lives as history makers. Let's pray. Just spend a, just a couple moments in reflection. And let's think about our lives once again the jobs we go to, the kids we raise, the neighbors we build relationships with. Every, every moment we spend, quiet time in the morning, a prayer before a meal, when we give glory to God, when we spread his fame among the nations, when we give our offering in faith. Lord, take these five loaves and two fish. Feed a multitude. Touch and bless people's hearts so that those who have never heard will one day raise the banner of the kingdom of God among their own people. Lord, help us. Let's just pray for a moment.